Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath hey las vegas what's going on i am crystal heath you're listening to the friddle show on kvxl 101.1 fm experience liberty radio or maybe you're listening via our podcast which if you're not listening on our podcast and you're like what there's a podcast yeah there is it's over on soundcloud and itunes just search for the friddle show it's the only one by that name so it should be pretty easy to find all right uh let's start with uh real quickly here because i promised we would focus on the state of the union address today but before we get to that uh you probably saw yesterday in the news there was a train carrying gop lawmakers to their annual retreat it hit a truck which was on the train track and uh, at least one person was killed, which was in the truck. Uh, the other passenger was airlifted with critical injuries. Um, excuse me, there were two other people in the truck. The truck's driver was unidentified and also transported to the hospital with serious injuries. Um, several train passengers and crew, including at least one lawmaker, were taken to a local hospital for what were called uh, minor injuries. It was a high-speed collision. Uh, there was an immediate impact. About 70 miles an hour is what they're what they're saying right now. 70 to zero pretty quickly. Um, multiple reports and accounts say that these GOP lawmakers uh, helped carry the injured across tracks to the ambulance, attempted to uh, resuscitate the uh, the deceased individual in this case. Um, the the it, 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 there was some confusion as to whether or not the train had actually derailed or not. So what is being said now is that the front engine did end up with wheels off of the tracks, but it wasn't like a. It is just like slightly off the track. It's not what you would normally think of for a train derailment when you hear that term. It's just like they kind of the front engine just kind of jumped off the track, but it wasn't where like the whole train fell over or anything like that. Um, and the the lawmakers themselves appear to be okay. The retreat is expected to continue as planned. And uh, it's a, it's just an, a thing where GOP traditionally gathers to talk about their agenda and their goals. Uh, it started last night with Vice President Pence mentioning what a great speech the president gave to a rousing round of applause via standing ovation at the GOP retreat. So that is where they started. Uh, Speaker Ryan encouraging. GOP lawmakers at that retreat to focus on tax reform and hammer that home, make that a message. Talk about that. That's a big win for the GOP getting that done. Talk about people having more money in their paychecks. If we can keep, he was saying, that thought front and center, they will do well. They believe in the 2018 elections, and I tend 
to agree with them. But as the vice president stated at the retreat, what a speech that was. So highlights first, and then we'll talk about it. Ready? Here we go. Since the election, we have created 2.4 million new jobs. Small business confidence is at an all-time high. The stock market has smashed one record after another. In April, this will be the last time you will ever file under the old and very broken system, and millions of Americans will have more take-home pay starting next month. We repealed the core of the disastrous Obamacare. The individual mandate is now gone. Houston's reverence for those who have served our nation reminds us of why we salute our flag, why we put our hands on our hearts for the Pledge of Allegiance, and why we proudly stand for the national anthem. The era of economic surrender is totally over. From now on, we expect trading relationships to be fair and, very importantly, reciprocal. Tonight, I'm calling on Congress to produce a bill that generates at least $1.5 trillion for the new infrastructure investment that our country so desperately needs. Tonight, I am calling on Congress to finally close the deadly loopholes that have allowed MS-13 and other criminal gangs to break into our country. We have proposed new legislation that will fix our immigration laws and support our ICE and Border Patrol agents. I am extending an open hand to work with members of both parties, Democrats and Republicans, to protect our citizens of every background, color, religion, and creed. And the sacred duty of every elected official in this chamber is to defend Americans, to protect their safety, their families, their communities, and their right to the American dream. Because Americans are dreamers, too. Know that weakness is the surest path to conflict, and unmatched power is the surest means to our true and great defense. For this reason, I am asking Congress to end the dangerous defense sequester and fully fund our great military. We must modernize and rebuild our nuclear arsenal, hopefully never having to use it, but making it so strong and so powerful that it will deter any acts of aggression just signed prior to walking in, an order directing Secretary Mattis to re-examine our military detention policy and to keep open the detention facilities in Guantanamo Bay. We need only look at the depraved character of the North Korean regime to understand the nature of the nuclear threat it could pose to America and to our allies. Tonight, we pledge to honor Otto's memory with total American resolve. We should never, ever forget. The people dreamed this country. The people built this country. And it's the people who are making America great again. 
All right, so those are some highlights from President Trump's first State of the Union address. I got to tell you, I watched this live on Tuesday night. I live-tweeted most of it, had to take a short break from the live-tweeting because we were having grilled cheese and tomato soup, and I don't know if you've ever tried to live-tweet on your phone while eating grilled cheese and tomato soup, but it just doesn't go very well. So there was a slight break, but I was able to watch it, and I have to tell you, um, while it was 80 minutes long and the third longest State of the Union address in history— It didn't seem that long. It didn't seem like it was dragging on. It was a phenomenal speech, in my opinion. It was clear. It was precise. It had specifically laid out plans uh, for different parts of his agenda. It was very carefully crafted. It was an on-message presentation of the administration's first-year accomplishments. And listening to this speech, it it made you proud to be an American again. There was no apology for American greatness. There was no question of our strength. It was just like America all the way. Um, But it was, it was, the theme was unity. The theme was the people. The theme was we, the people. President Trump used the word I, or a derivative there of I or me, 29 times in his speech, but used the word we 129 times. Uh, Another communal word that was used often by the president during the speech was our, which he used 104 times. Now contrast that and those numbers with President Obama's first State of the Union address in which he used I or me nearly 100 times. I believe it was 98. And one of these presidents might have an ego issue or something. I don't know. But the president used either we or our... 233 times in his 80-minute speech. And that was very much the theme. The theme was uniting. The theme was we. And it worked. It was a huge success, as the president might say. Eight in ten Americans who watched the State of the Union address felt that the president was trying to unite the country rather than divide it. Two-thirds of speech watchers said the speech made them feel proud. Among speech watchers overall, 75% approved of the president's speech. I can't remember the last time 75% of Americans agreed about just about anything in politics. I don't know the last time, I don't know if I've ever seen a number that high approving of a State of the Union, except perhaps uh, President Bush's State of the Union uh, in 2012 following the the attacks of September 11th. I'm guessing those numbers are pretty high. I don't have them in front of me. But 75%, that's not 75% of Republicans. That's 75% of all speech watchers approved overall of his speech. 65% said it made them feel proud. 35% said it made them feel safer. Uh, I had another number here somewhere. Oh, among, uh, if you broke it down to the different parties, 97% of Republicans approved the speech. That number is highly significant for the president. Because, I don't know if you all have forgotten... But in the 2016 primary and even the 2016 election, uh, it was very divisive in the Republican Party. 
And many of those who voted for now President Trump did so grudgingly because they 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 did it simply and if not solely so that Hillary Clinton would not become president. I know that a lot of Trump supporters don't like to hear that, but there is a large, large contingency of Republican voters and others who voted for him only because they didn't want Hillary. But when 97% of Republicans approved of this speech, I think that that demonstrates a shift in that feeling. I think that the president is coming into his own in the Republican Party. There was some doubt as to whether he would govern as a Republican due to his past uh, views and actions and even party registration. But I think that he has done as he said he would and surrounded himself with very uh, solid people. That was demonstrated very clearly in this speech because presidents don't write their own speeches. Speech writers write their speeches. Presidents don't pick their own guests. Uh, People are assigned to find them. And boy, the people assigned to work on this one did a phenomenal job. So I think the president is is setting himself and uh, and making himself the leader right now of the Republican Party. And if he can continue this momentum from this speech, it will be huge for him. And this, I think, is the Trump that Republicans and the country need to see. And I, I, I think that if he could just not tweet, like, don't tweet this week. Just don't tweet. Like, don't do anything. There's no need to take away from the momentum and from how people are feeling based on the speech on Tuesday. Like, there's this old saying, if you've seen Bambi, you know it. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Sometimes it's just good to go with Thumper's mom's advice. And probably every one of your mother's advice. But anyway, 97% of Republicans approved. 72% of independents. Also a huge, huge number. 43% of Democrats also approved. These are big numbers. Now, uh, while Democrats watching, 43% approved, which I thought was a pretty high number, all things considered, but uh, while 43% of speech watchers who were Democrats approved, the uh, support from Democratic members of Congress in the actual House chambers was less than enthusiastic. And in many ways, very odd behavior. So, let's, you, you've probably noticed, if you've ever watched the State of the Union before, that whatever president's party is in power, uh, the other party won't clap for them most of the time. Unless the president is saying something that is obviously good for everyone and isn't a partisan politics line of the speech. So, for example, if President Obama had something like said something like the state of the union is strong because our people are strong, Republicans and Democrats both would have stood and both would have clapped because that's not something that's a partisan political statement. That's just a, a, an applausible line. President Trump said it and Democrats stayed seated. Another example of this common courtesy is when the president enters, you stand, you clap. 
This is just tradition, long-standing tradition, not because of the person who holds the office, but because it is the president. And we are portraying our country to the world during the State of the Union. Democrats didn't stand and clap. And the lack of the applause on things that should have been easy applause lines um, was just remarkable to me. I mean, they were not even... Well, let's just talk about them. Democrats didn't applaud for the economy breaking records. Is that not a good thing for everybody, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat? They didn't applaud for record unemployment. Is that not a good thing for everyone? Like, why would you not clap for that? The black congressional caucus members did not applaud for record unemployment among African Americans. I think that is the one that absolutely baffled me. I just, I was watching incredulously, like, how are you not even, I get it if you don't want to stand and clap, but you're not even going to clap for that? I don't understand. And it wasn't just the members of the Black Congressional Caucus either. It was most of the Democratic Party. And that makes me think, well, who actually cares then about the poor and the unemployed? Is it those that are clapping at news that we have record unemployment? Or is it those that are sitting on their hands at news of record unemployment? Which party really cares then about the American people? Democrats... Uh, by and large, did not applaud for parents that were there who lost their children to MS-13 gang members. They didn't, like, it was the most heartbreaking thing to hear this story and watch these four parents sit in the Capitol uh, and just weep at the loss of their children and, and Democrats sat there, heartless. It was unimaginable to me. And we'll talk more about those families and the others that President Trump recognized. Just incredible stories. We'll get to those uh, in a little while here. But they, they didn't applaud for the flag. They didn't applaud for our military. They didn't applaud for our police force. They didn't applaud for tax cuts. They didn't applaud for uh, merit-based immigration because you know we why would we want doctors and lawyers and smart people immigrating here they didn't applaud for in god we trust they didn't applaud for increased infrastructure spending now now in all of these cases there were exceptions to the rule generally there were one or two or in some cases a handful or a dozen democrats that would clap some even stand and clap uh, without their colleagues but across the board In each of these instances, the majority of Democrats did not clap. And the list goes on. I don't have time. We could do an entire show just on the dozens of things that Democrats did not clap for, which were just bizarre. To put it simply, their behavior was not normal. It was strange. It was weird. 
in a speech all about we and us and unity and and uh, item after item after item that every American should be able to applaud regardless of political preference, Democrats, in my opinion, made themselves look like the divisive party. They made themselves look very bad. And I think post this speech, when they saw these numbers, and that 75% of Americans approved of the speech, maybe if you want to be aligned with the American people, you should be clapping things and applauding for things that the American people are applauding. All right, so uh, let's go through some of my favorite quotes. Uh, Then we'll take a break. Then we'll come back and talk about the stories of the individuals that President Trump recognized during his speech. But uh, here are some of the standout quotes, what I thought were the standout quotes. Of course, the beginning, where he said, Let's begin tonight by recognizing that the state of our union is strong because our people are strong, and together we are building a safe, strong, and proud America. Since the election, we have created 2.4 million new jobs, including 200,000 new jobs in manufacturing alone. That is, a, that is a big deal. The president also said that America has turned the page on decades of unfair trade deals that sacrificed our prosperity and shipped away our companies, our jobs, and our nation's wealth. The era of economic surrender is over. So, to every citizen watching at home tonight, no matter where you have been or where you have come from, this is your time. If you work hard, if you believe in yourself, if you believe in America, then you can dream anything, be anything, and together we can achieve absolutely anything. That's pretty inspirational right there. That's pretty much exactly what I want my president to say. Tell me that America is awesome. Tell me that we can do anything. Like that's that's what America is. And right, wrong, or otherwise, or if you think that's that's not that's not what I'm debating today. We're talking about the president giving the State of the Union address and if it was effective, and I believe very much that it was. This is exactly what a president should do in a State of the Union address. So my other favorite quotes, he said, In America, we know that faith and family, not government and bureaucracy, are the center of American life. The motto is, In God We Trust. Is that not refreshing? president said, we celebrate our police, our military, and our amazing veterans as heroes who deserve our total and unwavering support. The president said that just before publicly honoring a young man named Preston Sharp. Preston is a 12-year-old young man from Redding, California, who places American flags on the graves of fallen soldiers on Veterans Day. Uh, he said, uh, and just as I promised the American people from this podium 11 months ago, we enacted the biggest tax cuts and reforms in American history. Our massive tax cuts provide tremendous relief for the middle class and small businesses. He talked about the four pillars of his immigration plan. Let's see. Um, I Do I want to? Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to let the president explained the four pillars of his immigration plan to you because I think that he did a really great uh, really great job explaining his four pillars. So rather than me 
analyzing it for you. We're going to cut to him here for just a second and uh, and let him tell you the four pillars because this was this was excellent. If there is the first a pillar we climb of our framework, if there's generously the offers a path to citizenship for 1.8 million illegal immigrants who were brought here by their parents at a young age, that covers almost three times more people than the previous administration covered. Under our plan, those who meet education and work requirements and show good moral character will be able to become full citizens of the United States over a 12-year period. The second pillar fully secures the border. That means building a great wall on the southern border, and it means hiring more heroes like CJ to keep our communities safe. Crucially, our plan closes the terrible loopholes exploited by criminals and terrorists to enter our country, and it finally ends the horrible and dangerous practice of catch and release. The third pillar ends the visa lottery, a program that randomly hands out green cards without any regard for skill, merit, or the safety of American people. It's time to begin moving toward a merit-based immigration system, one that admits people who are skilled, who want to work, who will contribute to our society, and who will love and respect our country. The fourth and final pillar protects the nuclear family by ending chain migration. Under the current broken system, a single immigrant can bring in virtually unlimited numbers of distant relatives. Under our plan, we focus on the immediate family by limiting sponsorships to spouses and minor children. This vital reform is necessary not just for our economy, but for our security and for the future of America. In recent weeks, two terrorist attacks in New York were made possible by the visa lottery and chain migration. In the age of terrorism, these programs present risks we can just no longer afford. And the president went on from there. But I, this was, I think, a very powerful moment in his speech because in this explanation of the four pillars of his immigration plan, which I think that he presented very clearly and very well, he didn't just say one, two, three, four. No, he presented each point and then he explained why each point was necessary. Despite booing from Democrats, his plan is is more inclusive than anything put forward by President Obama in dealing with uh, immigration. It allows a path to citizenship, but it also requires the building of a wall along our southern border. It requires uh, the ending of chain migration. So essentially, if you immigrate, you may bring your spouse, you may bring your minor children, you may not bring your grandmother, grandfather, great uncle, great nephew, second cousin twice removed, like that's going to stop. And he explained very well, It's all, and uh, the fourth one would be um, ending the visa lottery. So there's not just this random selection of anyone, and if you win the lottery, you get to come, regardless of what we, of us, like, vetting you as we should. It's, it's more complicated than that, but that's a simple way to put it. But for each of these, he explained why they were necessary. 
including mentioning, oh, by the way, we had two terrorist attacks that were made possible because of these programs, which we want to get rid of. And in an age where terror is becoming increasingly uh, prevalent, it is imperative that we eliminate these programs. And I, just, I thought he did a fantastic job doing what the media should be doing and isn't doing. So instead of the media telling you what the president's plan is or what the GOP's plan is, the president said, said instead said, here's my chance to clearly lay out for the American people what I would like to see and what I am proposing. And that's exactly what he did, and I thought it was fantastic. He said, my duty and the sacred duty of every elected official in this chamber is to defend Americans, to protect their safety, their families, their communities, and their right to the American dream, because Americans are dreamers too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, drop the mic. Like, that was such a fantastic line. Again, kudos to the speechwriter that came up with that one. Because he just took the whole immigration issue and turned it around while still being sensitive, while getting to present his plan, while precisely laying out why... He wants what he wants in his plan, and then he made it about Americans, but also about the duties of our elected officials in Washington, D.C. to protect the American people, to protect American families, to protect American communities, and protect the American dream, because Americans are dreamers, too. So good. That was one of my favorite lines of the night. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk about the three most poignant stories uh, in a single State of the Union address that I can remember uh, in my lifetime. There's been, there have been, each State of the Union presents, I think, at least one, if not two, really compelling, uh, incredible stories of just everyday American heroes, uh, oftentimes members of our military. But the president's speech was just, there were so many people there were at least five that I can think of off the top of my head, three that I want to focus on when we get back because they were just so, uh, so compelling. So we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute to continue with this. Keep listening. All right, we are back. So if you we are uh, if you're just tuning in, we are discussing the president's State of the Union from earlier this week, which overall I think was in really phenomenal uh, speech, well-crafted, on-message, poignant, America, America, America. I don't know who wrote the speech. I don't know who compiled the guest list for the president, but those individuals deserve some bonuses, like major bonuses, because I don't remember ever seeing a chain of so many poignant, moving, incredible stories, just one after another, after another, after another, sprinkled throughout a speech of this caliber. Now, again, I mentioned before the break that there's always people, amazing people and American heroes at these State of the Union addresses. But this one just stood out to me for having so many. I mean, from the the uh, military personnel that saved his friend's life to the uh, ICE agent. I think he's an ICE agent. I'm not sure. That, uh, that was that's been working undercover and working in New York to put MS-13 gang members behind bars 
and uh, and how there was a hit out on him, and he still nevertheless persisted. To, if you got that one, good for you. Um, and has personally been responsible for taking hundreds of illegals, gang members, off of our streets, uh, particularly the streets of New York City. Uh, and then there was a story of a border patrol agent. There was the young man who places flags on uh, veterans' graves. I mean, there were just so many, but three in particular stood out to me as just so moving and so powerful. Uh, Of course, starting with the parents who had lost their daughters uh, to MS-13 gang members. Elizabeth Alvardo, sorry, uh, Robert Mickens, Evelyn Rodriguez, and Freddie Suaves. <laughs> those are two couples. Their daughters, Kayla Suaves and Nisa Mickens, were killed in 2016. The president, uh, giving a shortened version of their story, said this. He said, these two precious girls were brutally murdered while walking together in their hometown. Six members of the Savage Gang, MS-13, have been charged with Kayla and Nisa's murders. Many of these gang members took advantage of glaring loopholes in our laws to enter the country as unaccompanied alien minors and wound up in Kayla and Nisa's high school. And it was just, it was absolutely heartbreaking. And if you know the stories of these girls, I mean, the one of them just uh, the day before her 16th birthday, brutally beaten by these gang members and tossed aside in backyards. Um, 13 arrests have been made in the case and the 13 defendants between them have been charged with seven murders, including these two. And some people will say, well, the president's just using them as props. Well, I don't think so because... I, I, if you're not a parent, I don't think you will understand this. I don't think I can fully understand it because I'm not a parent. But I know parents that have lost children. And I know that the pain of losing a child is virtually unspeakable. And my thought is that these girls' parents have very, very strong opinions now about illegal immigration when their daughters were brutally murdered by gang members who immigrated illegally and joined a gang largely comprised of illegals. So yeah, we could argue, you could could say, well, the president's just using them as political props. Maybe. But my thought is that they wanted to be there and that they want their daughter's stories to be told and that they don't want any other parents to ever have to go through anything like this. And if that means ending things like the visa lottery program and chain migration, that they would be fully supportive of both of those measures. And the president was right, you know, and just just horrible. And again, though, for these parents, Democrats did not applaud. On 
unreal to me. And Democrats in there, their hearts may not have been breaking, but the president was right when he said that I want you to know that 320 million hearts are right now breaking for you. We love you. It was absolutely heartbreaking. And if you were able to watch those suffering parents without crying, I, you might need to take a long look at the state of your compassion levels. Then there was, so that was, uh, I, I, as I said, if you're just tuning in, we had three, what I think were three absolutely incredible stories the president shared during his State of the Union. I'm just going over them quickly here because we're running out of time. I'm just giving you a little bit of background into those stories. The other uh, two, the next one was the story of the police officer and his wife who adopted the opi, opi this is a word, I don't know why I have such a hard time with this, opi, opioid some people just yeah anyway i just i can't i can't say it i can read it i can say it in my head but getting it to come out just doesn't work um anyway this police officer they adopted this drug addicted newborn from a homeless woman and the president shared their story it's police officer ryan holitz he's an albuquerque uh, he serves in albuquerque and he was at a convenience store investigating a robbery walked behind the building and found a woman there getting ready to inject heroin. Uh, he turned on his body cam and confronted the woman before realizing that she was pregnant. When he did, and this is on the body cam, he said, you're going to kill your baby. And it was then that she said that she was seven or eight months pregnant. The officer went from writing a citation to talking with the woman about her situation. He later talked with CNN about the situation and said, quote, it's not every day I see a sight like that. It just made me really sad. And I felt God telling me, tell her that you will do it because you can. That do it, he knew, was God asking him to adopt her baby. This woman uh, lives in a tent beside a highway in New Mexico and has battled addiction to heroin and crystal meth for most of her life. She said she knows how bad her situation is and she desperately wanted someone to adopt her baby. Officer Holitz said that he got so tired of seeing so many situations that he wanted to help but couldn't, and in that moment realized he had a chance to help. So after his conversation with the woman, he got into his squad car, drove to his wife, after saying that they would adopt her baby, and then discussed the decision with her. She, of course, was supportive because the couple had ad uh, discussed adopting previously, but they weren't going to wait until their youngest child, who was then 10 months old, was a little older. But three weeks later, the baby was born named Hope. But because of her mother's drug use, Hope was born uh, addicted with a syndrome called neonatal abstinence syndrome. It can cause problems for growing infants. Um, and sadly, the National Institute on Drug Abuse says a child is born with the syndrome every 25 minutes. Her biological mother said, I just want her to be safe and secure and be in a family and be loved and have a chance. 
The Holitz said that they are so thankful and blessed and humbled that they are allowed to have hope as part of their family. Um, just a great story of this family being willing to take in a, a child who they don't know what difficulties that child will face as an infant, what difficulties that child will face growing up as a result of her mother's drug use, but they were willing to take the baby and raise her in a, in a secure, safe environment. Really just a poignant story. And in an era when our police departments and our police officers are not appreciated as they should be, I thought it was really compelling that the president shared their story. And I just wanted to stand up and cheer right there in my living room. I was like, somebody better be standing up and cheering. Not not Democrats again, though. But And then, to cap it off, this was... This was the moment for me. Like, this was the star on top of the tree, if you will. The president is, is going through, and without, <laughs> without taking any cheap shots at Kim Jong-un or going after North Korea directly, the president did something so much more effective in that he brought in a defector from North Korea and shared his incredible story of personal triumph and escape from that regime's dictatorship. His name is uh, Song Ho, and uh, the president shared his story about how in, in 1996, as a young boy, he was so desperate for food that he was attempting to steal coal from a railroad car in an effort to find something that he could barter for scraps of food. But he was so exhausted that he passed out on the train tracks while waiting and only woke up when a train was actually running him over. He then underwent uh, multiple surgeries and amputations without having any sort of painkiller or pain uh, reliever. His brother and his sister gave them uh, their food, brought him noodles to help him recover, and ate, ate dirt and grass themselves, which uh, stunted their own growth. Um, and then he, he would later go to China in an effort to beg for food in China. You can, you can watch his story. It's not a TED Talk, but uh, his story, he tells it. You can find videos of it online. It's just incredible. He talks about going to China in search of food, and while in China, realizing that dogs in China are eating better than children in North Korea. It's just heartbreaking if you listen to him tell his story. But when he returned to North Korea, the North Koreans told him that he was a disgrace to the country and he should not be going into China because uh, cripples should not be representing North Korea. And they asked him if he had met any Christians and then they tortured him mercilessly. Eventually, he was able to escape North Korea with his family, except for his father, who was captured uh, in an attempt to escape, and I believe he was killed. But he, he, Sung Ho traveled thousands of miles on crutches across Southeast Asia to freedom. His father was tortured to death in that effort. But this young man now lives in Seoul, South Korea, 
and is working to help others who have not been as fortunate as him in North Korea. He broadcasts into North Korea. He broadcasts messages of hope and of freedom, and he works on helping others escape that country. Really just an amazing, amazing story, and the president shared parts of it with the audience. And when uh, Seong Ho stood up, he held up those crutches that he used to trek himself to freedom, hoisted them above his head, and when he hoisted those crutches in the air, that was the moment. That was the moment where anyone watching was overwhelmed with the blessing of freedom, where every person recognized that this is what America is about. This is why freedom is the foundation of our nation, and this is worth it. Just an absolutely incredible moment. I I don't know, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in a State of the Union address. I mean, it was the perfect culmination of an incredible speech and just spotlighted why freedom is a thing that we fight for, why it's important to us, why we preserve it, why we believe that it is God's gift to man, an unalienable right to not only life, but also liberty. So, in summary, as we wrap up for today's show, Trump's State of the Union, I thought, was incredible, precise, moving. I was thoroughly impressed. I wouldn't say there was a ton of policy necessarily. The immigration, which I talked about earlier, the immigration policy, how he clearly laid out uh, the four pillars of his plan, I thought that that was very good. But there wasn't a lot of other policy, but there didn't have to be. Because there was so much other substance, which was so compelling. And it's not supposed to be necessarily full of, of policy. It's supposed to be a state. This is the state of our union. It's supposed to be inspirational. It's supposed to make you believe in America and the idea of America. And I believe that the president achieved that goal. And we'll conclude today with the president's conclusion. Conclusion of his speech, which I thought was particularly strong going to read it to you. <clears throat> he said, freedom stands tall over one more monument. This one, this capital, this living monument to the American people, a people whose heroes live not only in the past, but all around us, defending hope, pride, and the American way. They work in every trade. They sacrifice to raise a family. They care for our children at home. They defend our flag abroad. They are strong moms and brave kids. They are firefighters, police officers, border agents, medics, and Marines. But above all else, they are Americans. And this capital, this city, and this nation belong to them. Our task is to respect them, to listen to them, to serve them, to protect them, and to always be worthy of them. Americans fill the world with art and music. They push the bounds of science and discovery, and they forever remind us of what we should never forget. The people dreamed this country. The people built this country, and it is the people who are making America great again. As long as we are proud of who we are and what we are fighting for, 
there is nothing we cannot achieve. As long as we have confidence in our values, faith in our citizens, and trust in our God, we will not fail. Our families will thrive, our people will prosper, and our nation will forever be safe and strong and proud and mighty and free. Thank you, and God bless America. Really great speech. Kudos to the president. I was thoroughly impressed. I hope you had the chance to watch the speech live. If you did not, it is available all over the internet. You can just Google watch Trump's State of the Union and be able to do that. Thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. It is Friday, so there will be no politics tomorrow. Quite the difference from today's program. We'll be giving things away. It'll be a great time. Join us same time, same place here on KVXL 101.1 FM. Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas.